Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for June 28th of 2014. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And today we have a, a special draft podcast. The NHL's first round of the draft transpired this evening. And, well, this early morning. We're <laughs> recording this rather late. Early for Cameron. Late for uh, East Coast, United States. And... Um, very busy day for NHL transactions. I personally find the NHL draft is the most fascinating player movement day of the entire year. I think it trumps the, the trade deadline and the uh, UFA. Um, Why is that? Because you just got... The UFA day has the signings, obviously. That's pretty clear. Um, trade deadline's got trades. But draft day has high-end, awesome talent in the first round, teams collecting great young players, also on top of just big trades. So it kind of combines everything. So I, I, I like draft day because it's the start of a lot of people's dream. And I think that emotional connection to that aspect of it is makes it better than all the other days because everything you've just said there's right but you get there and go you've got that added bonus of well people's careers are about to start people's dreams have been realized so all you hope for is positive thoughts for those people and then like you said you've got those you've got those big trades that, that have happened i mean we've got two sitting right there that that happened today so it's it's an exciting day if you're a hockey fan shall we get into the trades then Go for it. Kessler, let's start with that. Okay. That was the first thing I saw this morning when I woke up. That was a big one. Um, uh, Jim Benning, the new Canucks general manager, did not let this situation fester like he did with the Roberto Luongo. Well, he is not responsible for that. I was going to say, he didn't do the Roberto Luongo. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, <laughs> he didn't let it fester like that situation, which I guess is Correct. a positive. So Ryan Kessler going to be headed to the Anaheim Ducks for with him is going to be coming a third round pick in exchange for Nick Benino, Lucas Spisa, and Anaheim's first and third round pick in the draft. And those picked at least that first round pick's been made. I'm gonna to have to <laughs> look that up. Oh, and, look, the thing that I find interesting about that is that's two teams Spisa's been thrown in for a deal with. And I've only ever heard good things about Spezza, so I'm interested to see how he pans out in, in Vancouver. Um, I've I've watched a, a fair few uh, Anaheim games, and, and I like what he brings when he when he gets on the ice. So I'll be interested to see whether he sticks in Vancouver and that he gets the opportunity to be a high quality player, or whether he ends up just being one of those guys that's a constant throw-in somewhere and it's in and out, in and out of the lineup. He's still really young. I just it's just bizarre to me that I mean you have to give to get, and I totally understand that. But a bit tough on Spezza to have been drafted so high by Philly and then to have been sort of popped around twice now, I suppose. Yeah, he's he's an all right player. He's certainly not going to hurt Vancouver, especially um, he's he's going to find some minutes because um, they traded Jason Garrison away as well today. Mm. Um, That's the one thing I like about Benning. One of the complaints that you've had on Vancouver is they're too old, too slow, and they needed to make changes a couple of years ago. Well, Benning's come in and he's gone bang, bang, bang. Correct. 
and, you, and, and you've made the good point that the Penguins need to make sure they don't turn into Vancouver. Well, Benning has made sure that Vancouver is no longer Vancouver. So credit where credit's due on a, a good new GM making a statement in the right way, I think. And Vancouver took Jared McCann, center from uh, Sault Ste. Marie, with that uh, 24th overall pick. He's, he was a center that was ranked probably a little bit higher than where he went. So they kind of uh, had a guy fall to them. So that, that seems to have happened a bit. I think this draft was a little bit deeper than people gave it credit for. Now, explain explain that theory of it's deeper. Deeper in what aspect? Well, you saw a lot of guys. Every, most of the later picks that that I saw and just browsing through Twitter were, were the people that I respect that do the draft stuff. Oh, I can't believe this guy fell to this team. I can't believe... But it was, I can't believe this so, guy fell, but it was, you know. All right, so so is that, a deep, is that a deeper draft, or is that teams picking for specific needs? No, that's because the thing beforehand, that was... they weren't saying, oh, that's a reach, oh, that's a reach. Um, I think 27 out of the 30 picks, TSN had them in the top 30, so, you know. Okay, yep, so teams just selected what they thought was the right person. And that was the thing that we heard about the draft before we got to this draft was that you get past the top five and then anyone can go anywhere from, you know, basically 11 to 40. They can all be over the place. So um, It's a crapshoot either way. Yeah, pretty much. So, And that, that's perfectly fine. It's, it's nice to see that, that players have gotten drafted and, and I'm glad that Hosang went in the first round. I just wished he'd gone at 22, to be honest. I think the... Islanders did very well there. I think he's going to be – there's just something about him that I like, and I think he's going to have to be an absolute dominant player in five years. I think a little bit less than that. I really like that pick too. Um, and <laughs> we'll wrap our way around the draft. I just wanted to kind of touch on uh, Kessler to the Ducks before we get on to uh... – Sorry, got distracted. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um I, I think Ryan Kessler to the Ducks is a really, really good trade for them. They had a plethora of younger assets to, to move, and they're still in great shape with younger assets, and now they have a true number two center they can slot behind um, Brian Getzlaff, something that they haven't had in a while. And... If you thought it was a pain in the ass to play the Ducks before, you're going to go <laughs> Getzlaff, Kessler, and, you know. I, I just I, think I for at... them, they're in the same city as L.A. They're watching the Kings do their thing. They're in the Western Conference. They needed to make a bold move. They did today. It's, it's frustrating looking at this trade, and you go, why couldn't they do this trade at the deadline? They don't have Timu anymore. And it's like, it's just frustrating looking at it. It's perfect for Anaheim. It's fantastic trade. But you go, why couldn't they give up those assets at the deadline and get Kessler for this particular run? They have Kessler. They go through to the next round. That's all. And that's the thing that sort of frustrates me about the timing of the trade. Obviously, either Benning was willing to take less or Anaheim at this point were willing to realise that they need a player like that. We know we have to give more to get it. Do you think uh, Vancouver got enough? I think, I think they were in a tough spot. I think a lot of people knew that. Um, kind of like the Rick Nash thing. 
everybody knew he had to go. At the time, you're like, oh, that's not enough. But as time goes on, Columbus looks to have done quite well with that Nash trade, having Dubinsky and Anisimov fill in those kind of... Uh, well, Dubinsky doing a great job in their top six, and Anisimov, a, a fringe top six guy. Um, so then how does... How does how does Shiro basically get as much as he got back for Stall? Because everyone knew Stall was leaving. I, that's the thing that I I, I, can, I I look at that particular trade. You know, everyone knew he was leaving. How the hell did Shiro pick up what he picked up? And then you get over there and you go, well, everyone knew Kessler wanted out. I feel like they got a pretty good return, Vancouver, in the end. I think the big difference in those two specific situations was that Kessler had two years left on his deal. Oh, Stahl was done. And Stahl had that last year to play out, and I'm not sure they really wanted to deal with the trade deadline and having him on the, the roster. Say say the Penguins yeah. were killing it that year, which they probably would have with him. <laughs> You're going to trade him away at the deadline? No, that's right. And then you get nothing back for him. I get your point. Yeah. Um. So... No, don't get me wrong. The the Hurricanes offered way too much. Um, who also happen to be the people running the Penguins now. <laughs> this is one of the concerns, isn't it? One so, of the so I suppose we could segue into the uh, the 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 other big trade of today was uh, James. Before before we get to the other big trade, do you think both teams came out okay from this? I do. I, I think both teams came out all right. I think Anaheim are up only because they got the higher-quality player from the trade. But I think both teams can go, yeah, we did all right out of this. I I think um, the fact that um, the Canucks got a guy that fell to him in McCann, that's pretty good. Spiza, serviceable NHL defenseman, pretty pretty okay guy there. And Benino used to start on the Ducks' fourth line and, and work his way up. And he had pretty good numbers last year. I I think he can continue to produce somewhat of those numbers in Vancouver. Um, obviously, he's not going to be starting on the fourth line in Vancouver, so he'll he'll have bigger opportunity. It's not a slam dunk for Vancouver, but they got some pieces there on a player they knew they were going to lose. Well, I think most importantly, they got rid of it without a circus. And I, as you said before, that's I think. For Vancouver, the franchise and the fan base, that's almost as important as getting a better return asset-wise as well. But I do think it's huge for Anaheim. They needed that second center to slot in there. and they have Anaheim is scary good now. Yeah, they should be better. I think so. And John, John Gibson playing goal for them. That's going to be – they're going to get goaltending on the dirt cheap. And quality goaltending at that. Oh, I've got to, I've got to ask you this thing as you brought up Gibson. Do you fundamentally have an issue with having a rookie goalie being the number one guy on a contending team? I don't know. He played quite well in the playoffs last year. That's that's my point. I know I that's a super look- small sample size. I understand that, but. Um, no, 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 but the pedigree's there. You look at every level that he's played at, he's played at a high level in pressure situations, right? So you get there and you hear these so-called experts and stuff like that. They get there and go, you can't 
go into a year when you're a contender to win the Stanley Cup, which I think Anaheim are, with a rookie goaltender and a rookie backup in Anderson. And you sit there and look at it and go, why not? The kid's cheap. You can put money elsewhere and the kid can play. He's, he's proven it at every level he can play. There's no different to, to the NHL pressure-wise than anything else that he's done. And like you said, in the small sample size we got in the playoffs, he played quite well. If he, if he falls apart, that, that's all right. You're going to be able to build him back up. And I just I can't see him falling apart. The narrow-mindedness of some of these people that are in the media at the moment because they're old school and not wanting to think outside the box from what they're used to looking at, it's just it's, it's frustrating. And I'm not even talking about analytics. I'm just talking about you don't have to have an experienced netminder for the netminder to be any good. No, you need the netminder to stop hockey pucks. That's all that there's, matters. There's no birth certificate on the ice that they check. Oh, okay. Yeah. This puck's going to go through you because you're 18, guy. but not because you're 20. Correct. Or you're going to stop this puck because you're 29. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I don't believe for a I second. Think good. I don't believe for a second John Gibson's going to give them below average goaltending. And he's going to give That's them at, at least average goaltending for about a million dollars. That's great. Let's not rebeat that old horse, but the numbers pan out that that's fantastic. <laughs> so good for them. Yeah, I agree. They, they sort of, for me, Anaheim feel like they sort of come out of nowhere, which sounds odd when you look at the players they've got on there, but it's like Bruce Boudreau did a brilliant job of turning that team around and turning them into something that I didn't think they could be. And now they've got Kessler there. Well, yeah, so they're, they're prime. They're prime to really challenge LA. Well, yeah, they dropped the possession black hole that is Randy Carlisle. And not that they were an excellent possession team last year, but they're showing signs of trending towards being a good team. So uh, they're, they're certainly a team to watch moving forward. And they play fun hockey. It's the one thing you like about Bruce Boudreaux teams. They're fun. They play in a, you know, an up-tempo, let's go and score. We'll just outscore you sort of a game. So as a hockey fan in general, you want to watch that stuff. You want to see those players play. And the, the fact that their two best players are dirty and nasty makes it even better. I love Getzlaff and Perry. Perry's awesome. Yeah. They're, they are great to watch. All right, let's go over to the other trade. Okay. James Neal traded from the Penguins for Patrick Hornquist and Nick Spalling. All right. I saw this when I was at work today and I was like, holy smokes, what's going on? You know, I'd heard, I'd read bits and pieces here and there on Twitter and around the place that Neal was in play, but never took it particularly seriously because I would have thought that no one would give up enough for the Penguins to go, yep. We'll ship him the other way. Well, I was wrong because the Penguins ended up cap-wise, I think, negatively affecting themselves in this trade. Yeah, my initial reaction on Twitter was um, high emotion. High emotion, not very much for it. Um, I'm still not completely sold on it. I see some tweets that as many as 15 teams, including the Predators, contacted the Penguins about James Neal. So to me, this was the best you could do. I mean, 
here's the if issue. You've got 15 off, if you've got 15 offers and that's the best, you just don't take that offer because it's the 15th. It's just That's what it feels like if you say that. Well, here's my main issue with it. There were no draft picks involved. It didn't have to be done tonight. No, you coming that coming from a Penguins perspective. Correct. There's literally no reason that had to be executed tonight. Now, if you wanted to do James Neal for Patrick Hornquist and one of Nashville's second round picks, even though the second round isn't tonight, I, I could somewhat understand that, but there was no rush to get this deal done. And I, I just, I think Patrick Hornquist is actually a, a, a very good player who's been in a situation where he hasn't had centers, obviously of Malkin and Crosby's caliber. He hasn't even had centers that are, you know, anything to write home about. And he's put up so a thirty that, goal year. He's put up some so twenty goal. Is years. that what they're basing? Is that what they're basing the trade on? Going well, if we get him next to one of those two, we basically get Neil back without the elbows. Potentially, but here's where the trade loses me from the Penguins' standpoint. The um, the, the throw in to the deal, so to speak. Um, the Pascal Dupuy, <laughs> if that's what we're calling it, but. Um, <laughs> They didn't need to pick up a bottom six guy that's making that kind of coin because they have to qualify him at at least $1.5 million. And I, I just don't – I would almost rather they made the trade straight up. Than, look, it's Tanner Glass. That's it's. If you look at where you, I mean, he's you better. Where you're going to put him? Glass, I don't want. Yeah, yeah. But if you if you're going to put him on the fourth line, though, that's still 1.1 million on the fourth line. Yes, he's better than Tanner Glass. He'll give you more than Tanner Glass. But if you look at the way the roster is constructed, he's going to end up on the fourth line. That's 1.4 or 5 mil on the fourth line. Why why do that? Just go one for one and go. Perfect. We'll save the cap space and we'll use it to pick up a different different free agent. Well. For Spalling, I believe Rutherford in an interview tonight said he'll be playing third line. I believe that came out of his mouth. Uh, third line where? What they're not going to they're not going to keep Sutter? I don't. Well, they also said he can play all three spots. So, all right. But um, Mr. Adam Gretz of SB Nation and About.com had an interesting tweet, which I'm looking at right now, about Spalling. Yeah. Out of 365 forwards that have played 1,000 minutes since 2011, Spalling is number 341 in his Corsi 4 percentage. So he'll fit right in with Pittsburgh's bottom six is what he said. <laughs> didn't, we, um, didn't we get Carmonis on? for uh, analytics to avoid that sort of crap? Well, it appears they not. are not looking at that specific stat. Um, Horn, Hornquist, fine. I, I'm actually, I think it makes a lot of sense for Pittsburgh. I think James Neal was, was an asshat. He, um, dirty player, uh, by all accounts. He did not, more bad than good. He 
yes, the the talents there, the sniper abilities there. Um, but didn't seem like a very good guy around the room, and um, his dirty play. I I don't care for it one bit. So I'm not. I'm I'm sure that it was the driving force for the Penguins to um, get rid of that. So. Hang on, Gunner. I was going to come down and make lunch. All right. Technical difficulties. Interrupt, interrupted the uh, hate session on James Neal, but I'm not done yet. <laughs> Neon guys in people's heads. Um, uh, having no remorse for it for the most part. Just... It's rubbish, and I can understand why the Penguins would want to move on from that. And Patrick Hornquist has goal-scoring ability, and even though it, in the past, has not been at the level of James Neal, James Neal's goal-scoring capacity wasn't at his current level until he played with Evgeny Malkin either. So there's that. The If you look at it, someone posted something on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, so I apologize for not not crediting, but they said Neil in Dallas was 0.33 per game per goal and Hornquist was 0.29 per game in Nashville. So they're reasonably comparable numbers in regards to output provided. And Hornquist to me seems like he'd provide a nice two-way balance, whereas Neil was useless back-checking and, and, and actually defending in his own zone. So things... Could be it could be a great trade. It's just one of those things where you sit there and go, for me, Pittsburgh get addition by subtraction with Neil in regards to all the stuff you spoke about. The shenanigans on the ice. Um, he just he just seems like a guy that knows he's making five mil and he's happy to do that and that's it. As soon as things get tough, elbows and knees come out and there's no need for that. Not in this day and age, not in the hockey in the not hockey in the new millennium. It doesn't work. I don't disagree. And, and he's and, a talent. Neither of us are saying that he's not a talent. He is. He's got great skill sets. It's just that he's got a few things he needs to sort out before he can get back onto a contender. And we should just see whether this wakes him up or whether he goes backwards. Yeah, and um, there's something to be said about how Malkin has somewhat deferred from shooting with Neil, trying to feed him. And yeah, perhaps with Neil gone, he'll shoot more. But then again, Hornquist is no stranger to shooting the puck based on what I've seen. So, um, But it feels like Hornquist can actually make a pass to make a play, whereas it felt like Neil wouldn't. Hornquist can create for himself. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things where you get there and it's like the puck gets on your stick or you pretty much know where it's going to head. Whereas with a Hornquist, it feels like if the puck gets on his stick, he will actually probably pass it back to you, maybe. Whereas it didn't feel like that was going to happen with Neil. So there's a bit of a different rub in regards to the way they play and, and, and hopefully it meshes. Whether it's with Crosby or Malkin, who who knows who they'll, they'll flip them with. Now that there's no Malkin has to play with Neil feel, We'll see where everyone ends up. 
And the other thing Rutherford said tonight is they're going to be into the UFA market to pick up another forward to help out Malkin. So, um, you know. I'll say they pick up Penske and put him on Crosby's line. That's my. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm big on that. Um, but it, the fact he mentioned Malkin, I'm probably going to think that that's going to mean Nikolai Kuhleman. Not. Hemsky. The thing that's that's funny with Rutherford that I've worked out since, obviously, we're paying a lot more attention to him now that he's the general manager of the Penguins, he says an awful lot of shit that doesn't happen. So I take with I take whatever he says with a massive grain of salt at the moment. He's a chatty Cathy with the media. He, he, and it's it's weird for us because Shero Shero was so tight-lipped to then get, like you said, a a chatty caddy as a general manager, it just it feels like he's lifting the skirt up and giving everyone a look for free. It just doesn't feel quite right. <laughs> now, the coaching search was fumbled, in my opinion. I, I think oh, I that's that's one of those where you don't have to release that kind of information. The, the player movement kind of stuff, It's I feel like you can send the false vibes out there and, and not have a negative connotation come back at you. I don't. I, maybe that, that's an is, unfair thing, but it, that's the way it strikes me. Is that because players are seen as assets and coaches are seen as human beings? <laughs> Perhaps. Because that—that's literally the, the distinction you've made there, though. When you think about it, you get there and go, "Oh, players are just this, that, and the other, whatever, whatever." But coaches, I suppose, it's because coaches talk after every game. Every coach talks after every game. Not every player talks after every game all the time. So you get sort of a bit more of a human element, I suppose, between us and the coaches as opposed to us and the players. I can understand why people get there and give coaches a little bit more sympathy than the players. Plus, coaches don't get paid anywhere near as much as the players in average aspect. It's certainly one of the more interesting trades that have been made. Um, But Mario... How do you think it benefits... Go ahead. No, how do you think it benefits Nashville? Well, I don't think this is going to be your classic Nashville organization moving forward. Barry Trotz is gone. I think with LaViolette there, you're going to be looking for a more offensive approach. Neil certainly, you know, even in Dallas, he was a 25-goal guy. I think it's a good trade for Nashville. I really do. LaViolette likes him, likes the fact that he's a dirty mother effer. So um, I think it's gonna, he's going to fit in really well with whatever LaViolette does over there. And they needed some scoring punch. LaViolette, the way he plays, you need someone to finish. And Neil can finish. No one can argue that. So I think for Nashville, it works out really, really well. I think if Nashville goes out and gets a guy like Mikhail Grabowski, they're cooking with some fire. You're big on Grubbo, aren't you? I'm not big on him because I think he's the best player ever, but he's a productive player, and he slots into a, a second center position um, quite well. And a lot of his Toronto struggles were because he played with Colt Noor and other nonsense garbage with, like, 30% offensive zone starts. So... 
That last year in Toronto, he was so misused, and people wanted to point to his offensive stats without looking at the bigger picture. And um, he had a he had an all right year in Washington. I'm not gonna go out and say it was superb, but it was a quality year. Um, he he put up points and he was productive. And he's a free agent, and from what I gather, the money he's looking for, Washington's not willing to pay. I don't have a figure on what that number is. That's what I wanted to know. Damn it. <laughs> uh, I bet you he's looking for 4.5 or 5 mil. Which yeah, for, he's, not, he's not quite worth that, though. Yes, he is. To not Nashville. a contending team, though. To Nashville, he is. Yeah, that's where it gets tough. Are Nashville willing to spend closer to the cap? That I don't know. Yeah, and that, and that's that's where it comes down to because you're exactly right. For a team like Nashville, he's worth everything you just said. But is that going to fit into whatever cap range they're looking at? I mean, the cap's at sixty nine mil apparently next year, which is two mil less than everyone thought. Yeah, but that that had a lot to do with the buyout, which he's still going to be getting paid. But now I think he's like, all right. I'm a little bit removed from that. I'm going to try and cash in again. God bless him. Why not? He should. Yeah. Every player should. I mean, you get there and you can get to the age of 50 and your body can be a mess. You deserve to get every coin that you can possibly get from these teams because of what they put you through. So that'll be interesting. Um, just little things like that. So. Swing, swinging, swinging back to the whole two-player for one-player aspect of the Neil trade. You and I both pretty much agree on this. They'd have been better off going one-for-one and keeping the cap space free that you get from the fact that Hornquist's deal is less than Neil's deal. So you've got flexibility. Right now, if you look at the Penguins roster, Spalling's probably going to end up on the fourth line and his contract is more expensive than the previous fourth liner that they just got rid of, which was Tanner Glass. Yes, he can do more than Tanner Glass, but it's still a fourth-line centre at one point, whatever it is, per year. So they haven't really changed any flexibility in regards to what they can do with the roster. No, and, and that goes back to my point about why did this trade have to be done tonight if draft picks weren't involved. I'd almost rather the Penguins pushed hard for a second-round pick tonight. And if Nashville mm-hmm. was, you know, very reluctant on that, fine, we won't do the trade tonight. We'll, fi- we'll figure something else out. Uh, yeah, there's no – you're right. There's no draft precursor. There's no need to have pushed it unless freaking the Morehouse and all that were down there saying, got to do it, got to do it, got to do it. And that's the stuff that you'd love to know, but you just never get to know. No, we can't comment on that because we have no idea the ins and outs Correct. of the conversations Correct. that went on for this. It, I just, uh, man. <laughs> Spalling is not somebody that strikes me as a deal breaker. We don't want him. Do better. Give us a second rounder. Okay. Yeah. And this is how, where I, I think mean, how Nashville bad did they want won. Neil? There were 14 other teams involved. Come on. You can't leverage. And as you said, if, if that's the best deal you can get out of the foot, keep the guy. You know? Yeah, he's got. We've, we've, we gave the old hate on Neil 
what was it, five or six minutes ago. There are plenty of flaws in his game, but he still produces 40 goals a year and, you know, two or three suspensionable hits every year as well. But he still gives you 40 goals a year. From that trade, you need to at least get that back. And I don't think adding Spalling to that helps. Keeping Spalling out of the trade allows you to find someone else that you can bring in and go, all right, Hawkwist gets 35, the new guy gets 10, we're up five goals, you know? It just seems short-sighted. I'd rather keep Marcel but, Gotch than bring in Spalling. Yep. Agree. I, yeah. it, Rutherford's got the reputation at the moment from people you read on Twitter in that he's here for a, a short time, not a long time, obviously, because he's got a short-term deal. So everyone's worried that all of his deals that he's making are pretty much for the next two and a half years. And this seems like one of them. He really should have pressed for a draft pick in the second round rather than spalling. That's or, the way I look at it. hold off altogether and leverage the 15 teams against one another for the next few days if you're not going to get a draft pick out of it. And then you look at this from a Penguins perspective, you can use, and you can see why Ray Shiro got so much for Jordan Stahl. Yeah. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Oh, it's just, yeah. Look, I'll hold my judgment until we see what the roster is at the start of the first game of the year, but, jeez. Right now, I think they could have got more options for Neil. That's all. Well, Hornquist will help the Penguins. Neil will help the Predators. Spalling up in the air. Yeah. So it's, a, it's not bad for either team. It's just as a Penguins fan, you'd wish they'd have done better. Yes, I, I think, that, yeah, they, I think they could have, but how much better, I don't know. Actually, speaking of better, I think the Florida Panthers could have done better than picking Ekblad as number one. Yes. And I only say that because what Ekblad provides now is pretty close to the ceiling you're going to get. Now, if you've got the number one draft pick, as you like to say, you want to swing for the fences. You want to hit it out of the ballpark. And I don't think Ekblad's ceiling to what you're presenting, what he's presenting to us now, is far enough out compared to the two Sams. And I think you'll find by the time you get to the end of the careers of, of, of the, those three players, that you'll go, my, my goodness, I can't believe that, that Ekblad went in front of them. Ekblad won't be bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's just the other two's ceiling is so far out in front of what Ekblad's could be. That's my probably complaint about using him as the number one pick. It's almost like they went for a, well, I know he's going to be good for 10 to 12 years. We'll pick him as opposed to going, this guy could be superstar. Yeah, and I think um, when we had Todd Cordell on the last podcast, he, he kind of, you know, I asked him about, his size playing against players that just weren't as big as him and, and transitioning into a league where he's not the, was certainly not small, no matter what league he's playing in, but he's no no longer the biggest all the time. Um, He's not the physical top dog anymore. That's the, that's the tough part, part with Ekblad. It's like you look at some of these highly skilled guys that are forwards and they might be small, but they're also slight. 
So they've got an opportunity to add on, you know, 10 to 15 pounds over the course of three seasons. And then all of a sudden they can compete physically in the corners and stuff like that. And you go, well, the skill's already there. You can't teach the skill. So they improve tenfold. Eckblade's already got the physical assets. What you're trying to ask him to do to be better than what he is now is improve on his skill sets and decision-making. And sometimes that's difficult. That's all. Yeah, he's he, he, it's a safe pick. Nothing wrong with that, though. Absolutely nothing wrong with the safe pick. Safe pick is rubbish for the number one overall. But that's probably a problem. But this wasn't a year that that had that number one overall. And and like I said last week, that Jack Eichel, he'll he he's probably more of an attractive number one overall this year, even though he's not draft eligible. He'll be number two to Connor McDavid next year. So it's not bad being in the bottom three next year then. No, if you finish dead last, you're in a great spot. <laughs> Buffalo, the same as Buffalo, I'm, up to do that. Buffalo, I'm calling you out. You should do the <laughs> same exact thing you did this year next year. You may lose the lottery, but you won't lose the war. Buffalo could be so good in like, – say they end up getting the number one draft pick next year. You know who they're going to pick. They could go from being terrible to good very quickly. Like, the Penguins did turn it around pretty quickly once they got – well, suppose that what they go, they got Fleury at one, Crosby at one, Malkin at two. Um, that was in the space of what four years, and then all of a sudden they're in the playoffs. So it doesn't take long if you use the the high draft picks for the right type of players to become very good very quickly, which would be great for hockey. Buffalo being good is great for hockey. I agree. It would be exciting in my neck of the woods. Yeah, well, it'd be nice to have a, an excited um, market for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the excitement that they had it coming out of the lockout, but I think they luckily backed into how the they had a bunch of smallish, fast players, which turned out mm. to be absolutely the right kind of players in 0506 when the power plays were going through the roof. Uh, you, you know, all the infractions were being called. But I don't yeah. think that was by design. I think I think they just... It was luck. Yeah. Happened to be that way. Which was proven in the, the larger sample size with Darcy Rigueri. He, he wasn't good. He locked into a few years and the rest of the sample size was crap. Yeah, but the, they've got a... Just seems to be on the ball. Oh, so can I interrupt? Tim Murray. Go for it. Awesome job tonight. He didn't give the... the... I I read this. Explain what happened. Okay, Sabres have the number two pick in the draft. The the classic approach to these draft picks. Thank you, Philly, for hosting. Congratulations, Kings. Blah, blah. Our draft parties at the Harbor Center. Blah, blah, blah. No, he cut all the bullshit and just said, Yeah, Sabres... We're picking Sam Reinhardt. And if the microphone was not attached to the podium, he would have just dropped the mic and left the stage. (laughs) (laughs) And and to me, that's how you handle it. He went up there, all business, Sam Reinhardt, boom, done. 
<laughs> I'm not awesome. thankful for for these shitty fans booing me. I don't care that the Kings won because it ain't me. And I'm picking this stud. See ya. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be able to look that up on YouTube after this and see that. That's freaking great. It, he, it was straight to the point. It was pretty great. Although Gar Snow later in the night um, <laughs> had his moment on national TV. He, um, that was really funny. Did you catch Tell that? Me what happened? No, no, dude. Was, I, I work. He from, inter- I work. From 9 to 11, so I've missed all of the draft, and I don't get to see it. Anyway, even if I was home, I still wouldn't have been able to see it. Well, he, he was on doing the um, the draft interview after they um, took Hosang. And basically, he said, like, they were talking about Hosang and the pressure and the fans getting on him. And he's like, ah, whatever, they shit on me too. (laughs) 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 On national TV. And uh, apparently later, about his quote, he goes, they can't shit on me any more than they do, I think is what I said, I don't care. (laughs) Something. It was just really Fair enough. (laughs) So good for him in that regard. At least he knows where he stands. Yeah, he's not not a little bubble. So that was pretty funny. It's not Suarez bubble where you can bite someone and think you're going to get away with it. So, any um, any other draft picks that kind of caught your caught your eye? No, we we just covered the host. I think I really would have liked Pittsburgh to have, to have taken him. I just I like the idea of this very safe franchise doing something out of the box, uh, particularly after trading James Neal and, and, and taking a flyer on a guy, I suppose. And and they didn't. I mean, there's nothing wrong with with the, the guy they traded, uh, trade, the guy they drafted. I think he's, you know, you're never going to know until three or four years. That just would have been a really big swing for the fences like we wanted. At least um, at least Kapanen is a high-talent prospect as opposed to a safe, we know he's going to be a third or a fourth liner. And like you've always said on Twitter... You want to swing for the fences on your first round pick, you know, use rounds four, five, six, and seven to pick the third and fourth liners. But I would argue I would never draft fences. for a third or fourth liner. Every team does though. Yeah, you'll get those guys and let them let them take their safe nonsense. I'll take my home runs in the fifth, sixth. I'll I'll take my chance trying to get the Zetterberg and Datsuk in round seven. Yep, because you get. Zetterberg and Datsuk in round seven for three years. Take it and run. You can always find bottom six help. You can always yep. find bottom six help. It's not that hard to find. The whole the whole thought process of you have to build from the draft is totally true. But it's the top-end talent that's going to cost you bucket loads of money you have to build from the draft. Not the extra peripherals, not the... If you look at it in regards to top six and, and top four in regards to your forwards and your defense, probably go top seven in the forwards and top five in the that you'd like to get from your draft pile. Everything else can be filled. Exactly. Just, and that, I'm, that'll, that'll just fill the holes. And I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute here. Let's do it. If go that's on. okay. 
Can you tell me the position that was not drafted in the first round? Golly? Absolutely. Stop banging on my guy. No, it's not a specific guy. It's it's just that it goes to show Reality. you can find average goaltending anywhere. Anywhere. It's very rare that you're going to find the top end guys. And and chances are if you draft a goalie high, he's just as prone Go to, to failure as a guy you get in the fourth round. So my draft philosophy as far as forwards are concerned, always draft for a top six guy. And I think every organization should always draft one or two late goalies to see what they amount to. Because if you can get goaltending on the cheap and not invest heavily into it, your organization is a step ahead of most. If I sit there and look at it, the only really successful first draft goalie pick is Kerry Price. I thought really. it was Rick DiPietro. Well, so I thought it was too, but it just <laughs> fell apart. No, I was kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm serious. He had, he was, until his body fell apart, and he was, that contract killed the Islanders on a lot of levels, but just his inability to stay on one piece is the devastating part about it. He was, it, when you watch him when he was healthy, he was all, all great goalies. He just couldn't stay on one piece. It was one of those things we, you look at it and just go, you know, people pick on Cam Neely for not getting to reach his full potential because of his injuries. DPHO is a prime example of that. I mean, he gets paid a lot of money to do nothing now, and I totally understand that. But just as a hockey fan, it would have been great to have seen him be able to reach his full potential healthy. That's all. And then Flurry number one overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get why the Penguins did that, though, at the time. Yep. Athletic super yeah, they, they were third. They were third. They drafted up. They traded up for him. And I get it. They, they used that as the basis to build their team around. They went, right, we've got a number one goalie. Yeah, we know our goalies at the moment are going to be crap, but we know what we're building towards. And they built a team around a fat-quality goalie. He just hasn't lived up to the expectations that they, they want for the contract he's on. But you can build a team many different ways. They went from the net out. Um, you look at the Sabres, I don't think I would go from the net out. I don't think they are either, considering who they who they drafted. So, yeah, but to see how they go about... Sorry? Back, back then, net out made sense, clutch and grab, when they drafted him. That's true, because it was before 2005, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's right. So, so I think, it's fair, I think it was be... fair to think that Hey, we'll get a goalie that's pretty good, and we'll just uh, tackle people that come near him. <laughs> so, if you look at it now, and you were going to build a team, what would be your structure? Where would you go from first? Would you go a specific forward position, or would you just go for the best talented forward at the spot? Now, yeah, center and D. Yep, you go D, and then probably F before you number go one D, center, you? number one D. Fill in the rest. Find an average goalie. Yeah, I, I reckon I'd, I'd want to go number one C, number one D. I'd want a number one wing. Mm. Then I'd then I'd worry about finding a goalie. Well, I don't want to dismiss the wing position because that's what I played. You but. do normally. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you do you normally get there and go, oh, wing is wing. 
it's more of a luxury item than number one center, number one D. You get a number one center, number one D in average goaltending, you can find your way through the playoffs. You really can. As long as your depth is not complete crap. Those are the important pieces. Average goaltending is the key here. You just can't have below average goaltending. And well, I think on a blow, I think a, an average goaltender ended up in the Hall of Fame, and I think that's Chris Osgood. And to be honest, I think he should. Nah, he's no. I think he'll end up there. You watch. He will because people look at win totals, but win totals don't mean anything for the specific goalie. That's a team stat. Just like pitchers in baseball, Sorry. that's a team stat. Wins, obviously, you want a guy to win more than he loses. Um, and the great, 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 great pitchers and goaltenders will win more than they lose because they can steal games. But Osgood's not that guy. He's a, he's an average goalie who played on a great team, and he got wins because he played average hockey. I don't know. That, well, oh, well yeah. Osgood's my proof. Of my goaltending philosophy. You know, you know what's really funny? If the Penguins had have won the Stanley Cup in 08, Fleury would have won the Conn Smythe, right? Yeah, well, Fleury, he was phenomenal that way. year. But he has yeah, not yeah, played good fl- since then. No, 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 no. My argument is you then flip it to the year, the, 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 pre, the next year, and to be honest, if the Red Wings win that, win that cup, Osgood probably gets... The Con Smythe. Because he was awesome. That entire playoff run, he was unreal. I would have given it to him, but sure. Both of those players are a win away from getting a Con Smythe, which in Osgood's case probably would have guaranteed him to get in. He probably will get in because he's got 400 wins, but 400 wins doesn't mean crap to me for a guy that played average oh, goaltending I... with Fedorov, Shanahan, Iserman, Lidstrom, Chelios, Konstantinov. Um, I don't know. Shall I go on? That's 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 Zetterberg. So yeah, I, no, the argument you make is valid. It's just one of those things where you get there. If he had have won it, if if the Penguins had have lost that Stanley Cup. Osgood would have got, I think he would have got Lidstrom, and he'd be a walk. Oh, I think Lidstrom's problem was that everyone needed to be so good. That's the problem when you're as good as Lidstrom is. Is that unless you do something exceptional, he which does Lidstrom every night, every day he goes on, and that's his problem. <laughs> that's his problem. It's not like he's Justin Williams deserved what he got in regards to Con Smythe, right? Everyone pays a little bit more attention to him when it comes to playoff time because he steps up more from what he gives you in, in regular season. And that plays in your favor when it comes to getting awards like MVP of the playoffs. That's all. It does. Lindstrom doesn't get that benefit. It does with how they do the awards. I would have given the Khan Smythe to Kopitar this year. Oh, I would have too. Um, people just seem to discount some of the stuff that, that, that he does. And that's so. not a slight on Williams. His his play is cl- no. his play is clutch. He he performed in some real high tense situations. Um, but Kopitar was playing the absolute toughest minutes. He was playing at a high level, and I believe he led the playoffs in points again. Really. I didn't know that. 
What I do know is that he did all of everything you just said without saying, I want more chances to score. That just shows you the level of um, compete and, and, and camaraderie that he has for that team. It's like, okay, what do we do to win? All right, you need me to do that? I'll do that, no worries. I don't care if, I, if, I don't, if I'm not flashy or I don't show up. Yeah, he um he had one more point than Williams, he, and he led the NHL in playoff scoring. I believe he led it in um, the year they won it all the first time too, in 2011 and 12. There's that whole who's the most underrated player in the league. Kopitar won't be next year. No, he's terrific. Mm. The Olympics did brilliant things for him as well. Well, he's on a pretty bad team. Yeah, it helps. Yeah, well, it helps, though. It his helps. dad's the coach. Nobody could say he made the team because his dad's the coach. <laughs> nah, that's <laughs> funny. Why are at the Olympics? Oh, my dad was coach. Really? No, I'm actually the uh, best guy in no, the playoffs the in the NHL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Again. Okay, no worries. Yeah, that's right. It's two years in a row. Is there anything else you want to cover off? I don't think so. No. I think I think we've got it. I mean, you and I both think that Fleury should be a compliance buyout happen. It's they not did happening. that and managed to move Scuderi. If, if they can move either Scuderi's contract or Fleury's contract, Pittsburgh's range of options opens up substantially. Now, the thing is, they can move Fleury. Just cut him. And then they've got five mil that they can do whatever they want with. Half of which that's can not find gonna happen. an average goalie. Correct. You can get a two, two or a two point five goalie, and give you the same output that Fleury Absolutely has. Absolutely the same. Particularly, output. particularly with the way Johnson wants to play this team, the puck shouldn't be in their zone. So he shouldn't have to make many saves. Well, the puck's going to be in the, the zone. I mean, that happens. <laughs> Even that's the, the best that's laid plans. You know. That's the, the argument that, that, that annoys me with Fleury is that it's like, you know, oh, if he had a better defensive team in front of him, he'd be fine. No, he doesn't see enough shots. He should be able to save 93 out of 100 shots. In reality, how high quality they are, he doesn't see enough shots per game for the lack of volume to, to be a problem. It's just... It's, it's just and he's my favourite player, and it doesn't matter where he ends up after next year, because I don't think they'll resign him. I'll watch him. But the Penguins are my team, and I need him to win, and he's not helping him do it. That's the thing. He's holding back a lot more than he is pushing forward for their success. Mm. Yes, there are specific examples. He had two shutouts against the Rangers in round two. He's not void yeah, he of having good games. games. He's not void no, of he playing well. It's just a consistency. He didn't win those games. It's not like the Jonathan Quick shutout in game. Was it game three? Yeah, that was a good. One. He won. Yeah, he won that game in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. Fleury had games like that where he won the game. Those two shutouts that he got against the Rangers, that wasn't Fleury. It was an entire team effort. Yeah, the Penguins led the playoffs in possession. Correct. So he didn't have to do an awful lot. It's like the days of, of Fleury winning you a game, going back where it matters, as far as I'm concerned, are gone. He's so much fun to watch and he's great fun to watch. But 
if you're looking at a team that you want to have win a cup, you need a guy that's going to win you games where it matters. And the last four years, Fleury hasn't done that. Give me Ryan Miller at five and, million over Fleury at five million any day I'll of the week. I'll take that. I'll take that because Miller will win you those games that you need to have won. And I know that people will point to the St. Louis situation. I think that's an anomaly. Um, but in, in that situation, if you're worried about paying five mil to Miller, don't pay five mil to Miller. Pay two and a half to someone else and put that two and a half somewhere else in the roster. Correct. But if you're going to pay five mil for a goalie, it can't be flurry. Correct. And, and that's the argument. It's not that either of us don't like him. It's just that... His statistical output is not up to the salary cap number that he hits, and that's what hurts the team. They need to get, you know, they could restructure his deal and, and make it so that his cap hits two mil. By all means, do so, but that's not going to happen. Now they're going to play him, and they're going to keep Scuderi, and it'll be another year lost for them. And in theory, you're building around that, what is it, nine point something mil? You're building around that dead weight. That's the problem you've got. You're not building around the, the market and Crosby 15 mil. That's not your issue. Or 19 mil or whatever it is around those two guys. That's not your problem. Even Latang's contract's not your problem. No, it's contract. Those can... three players, they produce. Those three contracts produce output. The other two don't. You don't get value for dollar. You, you don't Melnick those contracts. You don't get Melnick value out of those contracts. So you have to try and move them somewhere. Well, I do want to cover Chris Letang, but not tonight. I I think he's going to have a terrific season under the new coach, but you made pretty compelling arguments to that in your article. So go have a look at hockey buzz, go through his archives, have a look. It's a good piece actually. Yeah. Um, Yes, we'll cover that in more in depth. We got a lot. Of, we got a lot of summer topics like that. Not just penguins. We'll 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 move around the league. We'll we'll find some of these extremely interesting kind of scenarios, and uh, we'll we'll be talking about them in the near future. And in fact, you know, we might have some mini podcasts. Yeah, we'll micro podcast it up, I reckon. <laughs> in the future, where we just cover a, a, a quick quick hit topic and. Um, you know, pounded out that way. So, yeah. So they won't be mammoth ones like this, but they could be through the week. They could be fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, five minutes. Just we just want to get there. Topic comes up, we need to talk about it. We'll get it out there and we'll post it up. But just to get some back and forth on it and, and try and get some different views out there. And basically, um, you know, you can contact me at Gunner Stall on Twitter or Cameron at Walshy66, and you, you can give us feedback on the podcast. What what do you want to hear? What questions do you want answered? Um, pretty much anything. We we enjoy our back and forth on Twitter um, with with the people that correspond with us. So it, it's a great, it's great. forum. We, we don't necessarily we, we don't have to agree. It's just good to get a different point of view, at least looking at something differently than, than what you, you thought. Like Gutter and I agree on a lot of things, but there are certain things that we don't agree on, and it's good to have two different views. So if you've got something we, we write or say that you don't agree with, let us know because at least it gives us a chance to look at it from your point of view, and we can try and, and, and nut out what we think would be a great solution for whatever issue that we're not agreeing with. It's 
the, the as Gunnar said, the best thing about Twitter is the fact that you can go back and forth and, and try and work something out. It's great. And, you know, you can help guide this podcast to new Ooh. heights. You know, we can mold it towards our listeners so that we can give you what you want. So Yeah, let us know what you want and, and we'll, uh, we'll try to provide. That's basically it. So with that said, I'm at Gunnar Stahl. He's at Walshy66. Our website, HockeyHurts.com. Hockey underscore Hurts at Twitter. Um, you can find my work at HockeyBuzz.com for Pittsburgh Penguins. You can find um, my more stats-driven articles at HockeyPerspectus.com. And anything else? Uh, you can find my work at uh, um You can find my uh, online training at uh, coachcw.com. So if you need any uh, health solutions for you at home or when you travel a lot, I can uh, provide all that sort of stuff for you. That's um, It's a nice option to have. Uh, a lot of people know what they want to do in the gym, but getting it directed by someone that um, is an expert is always a good thing because it gets you to push that a little bit further. So, uh, coach, for that. Nice. And um, if you are getting this podcast through iTunes, take a minute and uh, give us a review so that we can uh, reach some more listeners. The more reviews we get, the more traffic it gets, the um, the more it shoots up that iTunes list so that more people can uh, that don't know about us perhaps could stumble upon us. So be much appreciated guys. So, um, who knows? Maybe we'll cut, cut another podcast in a few days. Uh, should be an exciting second through seventh round of the NHL draft. So, um, we don't know when the next time will be, but it'll be in the semi near future, whether it's in two days or a week. So, until then, uh, I'm have, Ryan Wilson. I have a, I have a feeling we'll be doing a podcast uh, Wednesday the second your time. To be honest. Oh, free agency. Yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, as Ryan was saying, he's Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Wolf. We'll see you then. Thanks, guys. <laughs>